Good morning, everyone. Since Easter, we've returned to our sermon series tracing the story of the early church through the book of Acts. And so through these stories in the book of Acts, we get to learn how the first followers of Jesus lived their lives and how they started to share Jesus with the whole known world. So this morning, we'll be continuing the story of Peter and Cornelius that Pastor Aaron began last week. So you can turn with me in your pew Bibles, follow along in your bulletins, or just listen while I read from Acts 10, verse 23 and following. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I, when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is God's word and it's given for our goods. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you see us this morning. You know our hearts, you know our joys and our hardships, and you know our stories. Speak to us this morning through your word, by your spirit. We are gathered in your presence to hear from you. 
It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As many of you know, I like to participate in endurance races. Um, Really long stuff. The longer, the better. And the more I've raced, the more I've seen kind of the same guys come over and over again. So whether it's kind of on a local level or on a national level, it's the same fast guys that keep showing up over and over again. And one of my good friends, Ty, uh, he likes to give me a little mini scouting report whenever we go to races together. He likes to tell me, hey, you got to worry about this guy. You don't have to worry about this guy. Here's who's fast in this leg of the race. Here's who's fast here. He always, he always has a little scouting report for me. And so last year, we went up to race in Grand Rapids last June, and uh, Ty gave me my customary scouting report. And, he, and this time, the list was a little longer than usual. There was like a slew of names. And I was like, Ty, I can't remember all these guys' names. I'm just going to run my own race. I can't worry about anybody else. So that was the mentality I went into it. I just ran my own race. Um, but a little ways into the race, about two-thirds of the way in, I'm feeling really good. And I'm running. I'm, I'm passing some people. And I blow by a guy. And when I, when I passed him, I look down, and everyone has their name written on their race bib. And I saw his name. I said, okay, Jason Ream. All right. And, and nothing clicked for me. I was like, okay, it's fine, Jason, whatever. And so I keep running, and I pass a couple more people, and I'm feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, I hear footsteps behind me. And as I hear these footsteps, I think, who, who's, gonna, who's coming back? And I look back, and I look down, and I see there, there he is again, Jason Ream. And that was when all of a sudden this name clicked for me. And I was like, my friend Ty told me about Jason, and he can run a marathon about 20 minutes faster than I can, and I have made a terrible mistake by passing him. And Jason came up right by me, and I think to be nice, he ran alongside me for a minute or two, and then he just took off, and I didn't see him again until the finish when he waited to congratulate me. So I'm not sure if you've ever had one of these moments like this before where something clicked, where you have this information in the back of your head, something's happened, you, you know something, but it, you don't see the significance until it hits you in that moment. And I think this is what happens with Peter when these Gentiles, these three people who aren't Jewish, they aren't a part of the family of God, when they knock on his door that day, I think that's when it clicks for Peter. So last week we left off with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Peter had received a vision from God where he saw the sheet descending from heaven. There were animals on it, and and God calls out in a voice and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter refuses. And the voice comes again and tells him, What God has made clean, do not call common. And the whole process repeats itself three more times, and the text tells us that Peter was inwardly perplexed. Peter didn't get it when he, when he saw this vision and when he heard God's voice. He didn't get what this could possibly mean for his life. And I think he was inwardly perplexed until that moment when those three men came knocking on the door. And that's why when we get to our story, what we see is one of the first things Peter says when he starts to preach is, Truly, I now understand. So where we pick up our story this morning, it's the second half of verse 23. And Peter and his six companions are headed to this man Cornelius' house who's requested his presence. The trip from Joppa to Caesarea wasn't a short one. It was about a nine or ten hour walk. And so Peter, his six friends, and the three Gentile messengers, a little group of ten, go walking down the road. And it takes them a full day and a half to get there. So after the travel day, they arrive in Caesarea and they arrive to a crowd. 
Cornelius has gathered all of his friends and family, and so we don't know if it was 20 people or 40 or 100, but Cornelius has gathered a significant amount of people to come and hear Peter talk. And so verse 25 tells us that when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. The concept of worshiping another human is, in this context, maybe a little bit unfamiliar to us. You, you wouldn't really imagine falling down and worshiping someone else. But you could imagine how Cornelius, in this element, he'd received a vision from an angel saying to command Peter to come. And then when Peter comes, his natural response is to assume this must be an angelic messenger as well. And so I should hit the floor and worship this guy. But the first thing Peter does is lifted him up and says, stand up. I too am a man. And he goes on to say to the group, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked then why you sent for me. So that's that moment where it clicks for Peter. Where he goes, not just these foods that I wasn't allowed to eat before are clean, but these people are clean, and I can eat with them as well. And we see Peter avoids two kind of twin temptations. One is to receive worship as a god. Peter could have easily let Cornelius worship him. He could have let Cornelius confuse the messenger with the message and placed himself in that position where only Christ belongs. The second temptation that he also avoids would be to treat Cornelius like a dog. To treat Cornelius like someone who he wouldn't eat with, someone who he wouldn't associate with. So he avoids these two twin temptations, to be treated like a god or to treat someone else like a dog. And I think most problems, many problems in our broken world could be narrowed down to these two twin temptations. To treat another human being like a God worthy of worship, worthy of all of our adoration, or to treat another human being like a dog, like someone who isn't human and doesn't belong as one of us. And so what we see Peter do when he lifts Cornelius up is he puts them on the same level. He puts them on the same level as co-image bearers of God as equals. And the good news of Jesus makes both of them truly human. Neither gods to be worshipped nor animals to be rejected. And so one theologian puts it this way. He says, we are Christian to be human. The redemption that comes to us through the person and work of Christ doesn't make us anything other than whole and healthy human beings. It takes away the sin that hinders us from being image bearers of God we were created to be. We are Christian to be human. And in that moment, Peter both established his own humanity and Cornelius's as well. He dignified Cornelius and he humbled himself. He rightly assessed his own worth and identity as well as theirs and avoided that temptation to either receive adoration as a god or to treat Cornelius like a dog. And so we have to ask ourselves then this morning, who are we called to lift up? Who in our lives view themselves or are viewed by others as less than? 
whether because of their life experiences or family background, because of their mental health history or addictions or occupation or lack thereof, who are less than in our world and in our lives? And how can we take those people and lift them up? Or maybe this morning you're more in a place where you feel like you need to be lifted up. And you aren't quite as human as the people around you, as quite as worthy of love and respect. So after Cornelius responds to Peter and recalls his vision, Cornelius puts out this beautiful statement. He says, Now therefore we are all in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is like a, a preacher's dream. It's the most attentive audience. He says, we're in the presence of God to hear the words that you have been commanded by the Lord. And, and the first thing out of Peter's mouth is probably the most profound theological statement in this passage. And it could take more time than we have this morning to unpack it. But Peter says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. It is clicked for Peter. That the person of Jesus Christ, his life and death, doesn't just mean it's good news for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Outside of a lot of the highest courts in countries all across across the world, Hungary, Brazil, Switzerland, Japan, there's a familiar statue outside of the highest courts there. And Lady Justice is the name of this statue. And so the Roman Emperor, Augustus, who actually reigned during the time of Jesus up until AD 14, the Roman Emperor Augustus, he introduced this god, Eustitia, to the Roman pantheon. And Eustitia was a goddess of justice who was depicted with scales in one hand, which symbolized justice, and a sword in the other hand, which symbolized the swift nature of judgment and the authority which she held. And so to be impartial, like Peter pointed out this morning when he says, I understand that God shows no partiality. To be impartial, literally in the Greek, it means to not be a respecter of faces. So to be impartial is to not respect one's face. Meaning that whether one was rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, whatever the context in that world, to be impartial meant that what they, who they were didn't affect the judgment that was bestowed on them. And so when Peter tells us that God is impartial here, he no doubt had some aspect of this Roman virtue of impartiality in mind. The fascinating thing about Eustitia, this Roman god, is that over time, as she's kind of morphed into Lady Justice, she started to be depicted with a blindfold on. And it makes sense in some ways, right, that God would be, that justice would be blind. That justice wouldn't look, and that's part of this aspect of impartiality, that justice doesn't look at who we are. It just is, is meant to be. But this idea of God being blindfolded is actually somewhat problematic, Because God is more than just impartial, and he's more than just not a respecter of face. He also sees us. And this is the story that Cora read for us this morning, the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus, that famous little story where Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus. 
Jesus spent a lot of time throughout his life walking around the earth seeing people, seeing their needs, seeing their stories, seeing who they were, and seeing what they truly needed. And so while God is undoubtedly impartial, just like this Roman pantheon God of justice, God also sees us. Karl Barth, the old theologian, wrote this, the German theologian. He says, there is no God behind the back of Jesus Christ. And in this, what he means is that when Jesus sees us, God the Father sees us. That part of the core doctrine of the Trinity, as Christians, we believe that God is on the same page. And that how Jesus views us is how God the Father views us. And that when Jesus sees us, the Father sees us, and the Spirit does as well. And so unlike this goddess of justice, our God is not wearing a blindfold. He is impartial, and yet he sees us. And so if the sermon stopped there, if the sermon stopped with, truly, I now understand that God is impartial, that would make me a little nervous. Because what that means is that judgment is coming and what you deserve is what you're going to get. But thankfully, it wasn't a one-sentence sermon and Peter goes on to summarize the whole life of Jesus and his ministry. And that's the next several verses. In verse 38, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And Peter's main primary means of characterizing Jesus here is as a peacemaker. As a shalom bringer, to use the Old Testament word. As one who defeats the devil and is Lord of all. And Peter concludes this sermon by saying this. He says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So what do we make of Peter's sermon this morning? I think one of the most underrated elements of Christian community, of the community that Cornelius' family and friends were just being folded into, and the community that we have here at Covenant, is our ability to encourage one another with the word of Christ like Peter did this morning. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, he says, The Christ in their own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the word of other Christians. Their own hearts are uncertain. Those of their brothers and sisters are sure. At the same time, this also clarifies that the goal of all Christian community is to encounter one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And so let me say this. We need each other. We need each other. There will be times when I struggle or when you struggle. There will be times when I doubt God's goodness or his provision. There will be times when you need encouragement or I need encouragement. There'll be times when my sin feels too weighty to be forgiven or my trauma too deep to be healed. And those are the times when we get to be the bringers of the message of salvation to each other. Those are the times when we get to bring the message of salvation to each other, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. And that message of salvation was both so encouraging and relieving for Cornelius and his friends and families, as well as it was for Peter's six friends who had been with him all along. 
the good news that God calls us clean and lovely and has made peace, peace with us is good news the first time and every single time afterwards. And it's something that we forget so often. And the gospel is primarily oral in nature. The gospel is about proclamation. It's about words that we hear. And so sometimes what we need to do is close our eyes and listen. To stop looking at the craziness in our own lives or the craziness in the world around us, the brokenness in our families, our cities, our worlds. Sometimes we need to close our eyes and just listen to the true story of the world. We need to close our eyes and hear this news like Cornelius heard it for the first time so many years ago. That God has called us clean and he's called us lovely and he's made peace with us. And so our third and final movement begins while Peter is still preaching. While he's still preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on all those who are listening to him preach. The Holy Spirit, God's presence with us now since Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, is poured out on these people, on Gentile men, women, and children. Many of you, if you're like me, we often want to focus primarily on Christianity as something that objectively deals with our sin. And that is undoubtedly what Jesus does. He comes to deal with our sin on the cross. He comes to remove the enmity and, and make peace between us and him. But one of the things that we often miss is the part where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with us and God comes to be present with us. And so it's like reading the first 43 verses of this chapter and not reading the last five. Not reading the last five. And this is what actually amazes Peter's companions. They aren't amazed that these Gentiles have received forgiveness of sins. They seem to have some level of category for the fact that, that God would forgive other people and that God would welcome other people into the family. But what amazes them is that God would actually dwell with those people. And so we see that salvation isn't just being made right with God. It is undoubtedly that, and that is core and key, but it also is about God being with us forever and ever. And so when God comes to be with them, that is what amazes Peter and his friends. And this is what we get to experience when we dwell in Christian community. This is what we get to experience when we share the message of Christ to one another. And this is what we get to experience in the Lord's Supper, which we will partake in in a few moments, that Christ comes and dwells with us by his Spirit. And this is what is amazing. And so the final verse in our story this morning tells us he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked him to remain for some days. And so it closes with baptism, the marker of entrance into the covenant community. So not only have these men, women, and children been forgiven, not only have they received the Holy Spirit, but they've been marked as God's children, just like Peter and his six friends. So I want to leave you this morning with two simple questions. Two simple questions. First, who can you bring the message of salvation to today? 
whether for the first time or for the thousandth time? Who could you bring it to today or this week? Someone who has never heard this good news or someone who's maybe heard it a thousand times but needs to hear it again. Because like Bonhoeffer says, the Christ in our brother is often, and sister is often stronger than the Christ in us. We need each other. So who can you bring that message of salvation to? And then that second question is, what can you see God doing in our midst that you can be amazed by? Where can you see God moving and working and be amazed by it? This life, as we know, as one of my good friends puts it, is a life of struggle and grace. But where can we be amazed by God moving in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters? So who can you bring the message of salvation to and where can you be amazed by God working today? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you came to bring peace on earth and that the news of the peace that you bring was good news for Cornelius and his friends and family and it is good news for us this morning. And so I pray that by our brothers and sisters, by your holy word and by your holy meal that we would learn this and grow in this in a new way this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.